Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also a best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have another amazing guest. This is somebody who has been a big part of a, an amazing group that I'm part of, Syndicate. And he's always so full of energy, great content, uh, great tips on marketing and business growth. And if you catch any of his videos online, you're going to have a big smile on your face because he's always so full of energy, lots of great content and lots of fun to talk to. So I couldn't wait to have him on my show. He loves building and managing great quality, high-performing, cost-effective, interactive campaigns for his customers and his partners. He's worked with some of the biggest brand names out there from Remax, Coca-Cola, Kia, Honda, just to name a few. And he just takes that guesswork out of growth. So please welcome founder of growth, Growth-based Ventures, Rapid Boost, and also marketing expert, growth strategist, a fractional CMO, Mr. Ali Salman. Thank you so much, man. Like, you know, I think uh, that's an intro. I cannot even do it for myself. So Fong, thank you so much. Uh, I'm humbled and I'm super excited to, uh, to serve your audience here. Thank awesome. You. Well, thank you very much for your time and spending some uh, some quality time with us and also uh, sharing some of your great value ads right now. So first of all, uh, before we dive really deep into some of the stuff that you do, share with us your journey, that, that history of how you became this great uh, entrepreneur and this amazing marketer. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in enabling people. Um, when I was like... like 12, 13, as you start like understanding, to start to understand the world around you. I remember that my dad uh, brought us a computer. This is DOS days, right? You know, you didn't even have Windows. Uh, and back home, you know, you you even didn't have, you had a pirated copies of Windows because like we couldn't even afford Windows at that time. But we were the first kids in our whole like, you know, block, like where we used to live. Uh, we were the first kids who got the computer. So, you know, he kind of instilled that bug in us that like, you know what, technology is coming. And this is, I'm talking about late 1990s, early 2000s, right? Um, and that never went away. Uh, then it became that like, you know, family used to call us that, hey, can you fix us this thing? Can you fix us that thing? So we became that in the family, me and my brother. Uh, guess what? We come, we come to Canada. And um, as you go through... Uh, uh, a new process of settling down in a country, you always, of course, like look at your career and say, what should I do? What I'm here to do? What I mean to do, right, in my life? And, you know, that technology bug actually, like, you know, uh, came back and um, it, it, it never went away. And now it's like, you know, after getting married and starting companies and helping brands, my wife says to me that Ali's first love is computer. And she's right. My first love is computer and technology. And she comes second. Um, so um, th th that's how it all started. And now the journey continues, right? You know, uh, I love technology. Uh, I love customer acquisition, sales, marketing. It's kind of the cross section of these three things, sales, marketing, and technology. And that's where I play the ball. That's where my wheelhouse is. And that's what excites me the most. Um, and um, just tremendous amount of change which has happened in the business world because of, because of technology we have now today. So, yeah, I mean, you can wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and say, hey, Ali, we have a campaign to work on. I can do that, right? You know, so uh, that's a passion and that's what excites me. And uh, that's why I, I keep... Uh, I keep doing that. Right? So, yeah. Awesome. Well, one of the things that's on your 
on your bio is that you're a fractional CMO. So what exactly is that? Because that's not a title I see very often. Good question. So generally what happens that uh, a lot of a lot of high growth companies, either they don't have a CMO or either they're not that big yet. So example is like, you know, a lot of the companies, they might not have a chief marketing officer in place, either that or either uh, they are lacking a capability and a capacity at a very strategic macro level, right? You know, so uh, specifically around like, you know, high growth technology companies. So what I do is like, you know, I basically partner up with them. Uh, I work around their strategy, right? You know, and then the compensation is actually based on the equity or the performance, right? You know, so you actually go in these businesses and you turn them around and you actually, you show them the growth uh, trajectory, but the interesting thing is the way relationship work is very performance driven. Um, and um, that's something that like, you know, I'm finding a lot of good traction in because a lot of the technology companies, they're raising a lot of money, but the challenge is that they don't know how to use that money effectively. Uh, and uh, and they need uh, they, they need a high level strategy, but they also don't have $100,000, $200,000 sitting around to hire a, an exec or a leader to run their marketing. So that's where we just come in as a fractional basis and like, you know, do those like right pieces of the puzzle for them and then take a step back um, and get basically compensated on uh, purely on the performance basis. So fractional CMO is a very new thing in the space uh, because what we have also seen it is that marketing leadership is not cheap to hire anymore, especially if you want good leaders in marketing space, uh, they are very costly. Um, and that's why like, you know, in a fractional space, you can work with five to 10 companies at one time and, um, it, it works out for them financially and it works out of you because you now, you're in my capacity, I'm creating a bigger impact instead of just working with a client. So. That is very, very cool. Because I know there's a lot of companies out there who's like, well, if I have to do this, then I have to take this away. And yeah. but if I want to do this, I can't do the marketing side. But you're able to jump in there on a kind of case by case basis and really just focus in on what specifically that they need kind of thing and be more cost effective as well. Now, Something else that you do very well, and it's one of your, your lines, is that you, you take that guesswork out. Uh, lots of people will go, you know what, I'm just going to throw something against the wall and whatever sticks, well, we'll stick with that. How do you have that mindset or be able to train yourself to help people take that guesswork out? Take the guesswork out, yeah. So, uh, so Fong, like, you know, marketing is numbers. Business is numbers. Numbers is patterns. And patterns show us outcomes, right? You know, so... Um, uh, like uh, marketing has a place for creativity. Absolutely. You need to create, you need to be uh, uh, different, right? You know, absolutely. Right. You know, that's, there is a place for that creativity side, but majority of the marketing, right. You know, if I can sum it up 80, 90% is actually very data driven numbers game, right. You know, so a lot of organizations, what they tend to do is like, you know, they do gut-based decision-making, right. You know, that executive likes, like, you know, that he has a liking and he's like, okay, you know what, this will work. Well, have you even looked at the data? What does a consumer want, right? You know, so I think um, people tend to think that marketing is a guesswork. Actually, it's not a guesswork. It's a data-driven like exercise, right? You know, and once you start looking at the data, data shows you patterns. And based on that patterns, you can start like, you know, putting those marketing pieces into your campaigns and into your business, right? So, 
Um, I always tell people is like, you know, when was the last time you looked at your strategy? Sometimes I'm going to say, we don't even have a strategy. Okay. And, or when was the last time you actually looked or changed your strategy? Because the question will be like, it's not working out. Well, it's not working out. The damn do something about it, right? You know, it's like, you know, at the, the concept, I always say, either stop and pause because you cannot just come keep continue running on the ferris wheel and expect different results right you know so you need to change the course and if you need to change the course you need to do things differently with what you currently are doing right and um, one of the best ways to change the course and be very certain about it is look at the data because then you don't then you're not guessing that which way should i go data will tell you that this is the most optimized way to like you know take um, and i think that's what makes marketing a little bit more exciting and predictable. Uh, there is a general narrative around that marketing is unpredictable. And to a degree, it is also unpredictable because there's market economics and other forces. But, you know, in most cases, if you cover your base as well, your chances of a, be, being a successful product or a service campaign is very high, very high because it's numbers driven game, right? No. You, you've worked with some of the biggest names out there, uh, Honda, Kia, Coca-Cola. They have these big, amazing budgets that they can have, uh, allocate to marketing and also research and all that kind of stuff. And there's not, they're not the only companies who do that. They have lot, like, there's lots of other companies who have that kind of budget. But what sets these companies apart from those other companies to be still more successful than the ones that do have the budget to do so? Good, good question. You know, uh, so so first thing is like, you know, sometimes when you get so big, you also get small or you also get slow. Right. So you become a laggard. Um, so sometimes it's like, you know, not actually, in fact, having a big budget works against you because the machine moves so slow. It's like an elephant moving. Right. You know, so for for, for point A to point B, you would really have to like, you know, uh, there's a lot of approvals. There's a lot of things. Right. So. Now, on the other side of it, you, you look at these companies who are very nimble. They move fast. Uh, they have those frameworks, which we call it Scrum-based frameworks in project management that, like, you know, they're very agile, right? You know, they launch a campaign. Tomorrow, they can tweak the campaign. Second week, they have a new campaign out already. Whereas in terms of Honda or, like, you know, bigger guys, they cannot just do that. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. The shifts don't happen this fast. So, you know, when you're smaller... And when you are nimble, when you're agile, uh, you have some of those benefits that you can move way faster. You can try things faster, right? You know, and you know, you also have not a lot to lose. If your campaign goes south, you spent let's say two grand at it, whereas like Honda is spending two million at it, right? You know, so uh, there is way more stake, uh, way, way more at stake for them because they have bigger campaigns, right? You know, so. For a smaller side, I think I always see that as like, you know, wherever you are in your phase of growth, you have some pros and so you have some cons and you really need to capitalize on your, some of your pros. And and, and um, like, you know, I, I always also say that the, the cause and effect relationship, right? You know, what should you do in your business that should translate into growth? And, you know, interestingly, every company, every space, every industry is different, right? You know. Uh, and if that was a very standard playbook, then we can all apply and say, you know what, just do one, two, three, four. So sometimes having money doesn't mean success, right? You know, and sometimes having lack of money, in fact, it works in your favor because you think creatively, you think out of the box. Um, 
because you you cannot access most of the resources, right? Um, and I think it just all comes down to the strategy, right? You know, and um, money is irrespective of the strategy because strategy is at the core of it, right? You know, that it's like an engineer before they even build a building, it's the, that blueprint, right? You know, what it will look like, what are the it's and bits of it. And that's, and the marketing, that's the strategy, right? Uh, regardless of your resources and money, and your uh, uh, size of the business, but your strategy has to be solid. So your tactical, when you go and execute the campaigns, right, you know, that also work out for you, right? So would you say there's a percentage of what you should allocate towards marketing? So um, now high growth companies can go upwards of 10% of their revenue, right? You know, uh, now if you look at the modern tech startups, they even go bigger because they are in the space that it's okay to spend on the growth without looking at the bottom line. But in, in traditional space, it doesn't work like that. Right? So generally in a traditional space, it's 2% to 5% of your revenue on your marketing, right? You know, uh, some industries are very conservative in nature. So they might be spending one point uh, of your total revenue, right? You know, uh, and in technology space, you will see that like, you know, they might be spending way more. So it's like five to 10% of your total uh, income or revenue they're spending on marketing. Again, I would come down to this thing. Money is irrespective of that, how much you should allocate you, whatever you're allocating should work, right? You know, because if you're allocating 5%, it's working good, right? You know, that means that you have created this machine that you put $1 and it's throwing $5 out for you. But if you're spending 1% too and it's not working, that machine is, is irrelevant for you. So I think like, you know, more than the budget, it's actually whatever you spend, right? You know, a dollar, 5,000, 10,000 or $5 million, what kind of ROI are you getting on the other end, right? You know, and is it making financially sense? Is your bottom line protected, right? You know, um, I always say this uh, that it all comes down to not your revenue. It all comes down to your bottom line because that's what your take home is, right? You know, it's not, you could be a $200 million company, but you're, you're in net loss. It doesn't matter you're doing $200 million, right? You know, so it all comes down to the bottom line and then correlate bottom line to your spending. And then see how is it impacting you directly to your bottom line more than other KPIs, like, you know, average transaction per, per customer, your top line revenue, all of that thing is good. But what is the direct impact on your bottom line? Because that's where, like, you know, if you're a public company, that's where your investors look at. If you're a private company, that's what, like, you know, your board of directors and your partners will look at, right? Very, very cool. No, you, you've done this for a very long time. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of great, interesting stories about your successes, your failures. Is there a specific case or a specific campaign that was very, very creative that you went, you know what, I did a good job? Or is there one that's a catastrophe, but you got a great lessons learned from it that you could actually share with us? Good question. Yeah. So uh, there was a campaign we created uh, in my early days. We did a project with Coca-Cola and um, what we created was like, you know, that so Coca-Cola's distribution points are all retail means that like, you know, uh, very rarely you're going to go buy, go and buy Coca-Cola directly on the e-commerce website. People don't do that. They buy it through this third party retailers, right? Like, you know, Walmart, small grocery shops, smoke shops, uh, gas stations, right? You know, so we created a campaign that whoever will sell more Coke, right, you know, will actually give them 
two uh, percent of rebate of the total, like you know, uh, of their sales, and that's a decent amount of rebate because imagine, like you know, a gas station moving hundred thousand dollars worth of product a year. That's two grand in like you know a decent rebate, right? Um, and the idea was that this rebate will help push it will help push the revenue even higher, right? You know, because you're incentivizing people to spend more. It's like credit card, right? You know that I'll give you cash back, so you spend more. Now, interestingly, what we noticed that people who took the rebates, they went on vacations, they went on like, so in fact, it, it has zero impact on like, you know, the revenue. Uh, these owners, right, you know, they were short-sighted. So they, someone went on Vegas, someone found test 2,000 extra dollars and like, you know, they spent it themselves. But we were thinking that with the rebate, they will in fact, like, you know, move more product and actually spend it on their own business, right, you know. So it was an interesting thing because it was a major campaign so middle of the campaign we actually changed the rules and we said we weren't going to give you two percent rebate as a cash we will give you two percent rebate on your leasehold improvements means that you need a new menu we're going to do that for you you need a new marketing collateral we'll do that for you because it's interesting because when you give someone that cash they don't know what to do with it and they end up spending on their other things which are their wants right um, and all of a sudden, like, you know, when we realized it, that when we were started to do that, that had a major impact because, you know, people then came and say, I want to get my menu redone, right? You know, I want, I want digital menu. Can you guys like do that? Of course, of course we can do that. Can you please make sure you move $30,000 worth of products? Absolutely. I can do that. Right. Um, and we started seeing a shift, right. And then all of a sudden we start digitizing these menus and what was going on is whenever we digitized it, of course, Coke had a real estate in that menu, right? You know, every combo has to have a Coke bottle. So uh, it was a very smart product placement where campaign was kind of not working out initially. And all of a sudden, we took a lot of market share. In fact, we went into the, st into the stores where Pepsi was a core product. And we said, you know what? We're going to do some capital investment. We'll give you a new menu. We're going to give you some new marketing collateral. And some of the other things like, you know, um, would you shift to the Coke? And that was an easy shift. In some cases, it was $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 shift, which ended up getting them $50,000, dollars $200,000 accounts per year. So um, uh, it, it's always sometimes that like if a campaign is not working out, take a step back, understand why it's not working out, right? You know, really go deep with it. And then analyze it and make those adjustments around it. It's like, I, I always say, it's like, you know, weight loss plan. You have to be doing that because you cannot just stop doing it. That's not the solution. Solution is how can you improve it? And campaigns are like that sometimes that you cannot just pause it, stop it and say, okay, screw it. it the money's wasted. No, look at like what's working and what's not working. So you, so you start making changes. And that's again, going back to the agility and like, you know, being able to pivot really fast. And if you can do that, then like, you know, you can get the desired outcome. So it was almost a disaster in terms of like, you know, they were, the leadership was not happy with us, uh, but luckily it turned into a, a, a really good campaign for them. And in Alberta, like, you know, year over year, we saw 56% revenue increase for them, right? You know, and in the categories where uh, not the direct Coca-Cola products, but some of the other like, you know, category products they have, which are very slow moving, uh, vitamin waters of the world and some of the other products they have, these are really good race. And that's where actually they wanted the most growth. So um, 
I would say disaster turned into an opportunity, and especially with a big client like Coke, uh, it's it's uh, it's very memorable. Uh, but if you would have asked me when the campaign was not working, I was shitting in my pants literally because it's one of our, one of our biggest accounts we had at that time, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when it comes to those kind of stories, I love those because there's always that lessons learned. And uh, you mentioned a few times about pivoting fast. Yeah. Now, pivoting fast is something that is easier said than done. Yes. Right? You tell people, oh, you just pivot. Don't worry about it. Just pivot around it. Well, how, how do you do that? Is that something you've, you've kind of trained your mind to kind of think outside the box more? How did you kind of develop that muscle so you yeah. can pivot fast? So, um, the, some people say move, just move, right? You know, pivot. Uh, I think I think you are right. You need to develop an appetite and culture in your organization around it, right? You know, absolutely, because sometimes a leader want to move fast, but the, the resources and assets they have to deploy, they are no, not going fast, right? You know, it's like saying that, like you know, when the war happens, how fast the military can get like the equipment to the borders, right? You know, there's a whole system around it, right? You know, and these co- these countries come up with these amazing strategies, like you know how we will get our tanks to the border, right? You know, but that's like actually business too. That when the when the crisis happens, how fast you can change things around, right? You know, and I. I strongly believe that always starts with a leader who is leading that department, company, project, right, you know, uh, owner of the company or not. So it starts with them. They need to be the the person who have that, like, you know, um, forward thinking outlook that, you know what, if we take a risk, we shouldn't be fearful. And I think a lot of the organizations really instill in their employees don't take risk. Or what if this go wrong? What if that goes wrong? And I think we have that implications on them. So if we tell them that, you know what? You can take risk. The culture is to take a risk. It's okay, right? You know, we might not be successful every time, but in most cases, we'll be in a, we will end up in a better position if you wouldn't have moved. So I think it's about culture. It's about leadership, right? You know, um, and it's partly about like, you know, having it in your DNA as well. Uh, just a little bit of discomfort because when you're moving, you don't know where the puck is going. But isn't the business is all about chasing the damn puck, right? You know, so keep chasing the puck. Don't worry about where the puck was because where the puck was is irrelevant at this point in time. Now, where is it going? Focus on that. And that's kind of the lesson in pivoting that, you know, you don't know where the puck is going, but you're keeping an eye on it. You're keeping, you know, you're observing it and you have that culture that, you know what? Wherever the puck is going, your whole team is adjusting and moving it accordingly. And, you know, uh, Fong, you go back and look at how organization adjusted to COVID. Now, in some cases, they were forced to adjust. And surprisingly, they also surprised themselves that they were like, wow, we actually adjusted this fast. So I think organizations have that capability and capacity. How much do they exercise it? It's up to their leadership and it's up to their culture. Right, because business is about money, and if 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 things are not working out, uh, if the ship is sinking, you need to do something. And if you won't gonna do something, the whole damn ship is gone, right? And and going back in the days of blockbusters of the world, and like when we talk about like you know uh, uh, like how GoPro became like this leader where where uh, Konica and like you know Fuji Film led the camera division, right? They all were fa- they were all failed to pivot. They all fundamentally failed to change their business models, right? You know, and those billion-dollar players are gone. 
So, and, and then we also see some players who pivoted and actually like Netflix, which used to be a CD, uh, they started out as a CD and a rental company and they pivoted and became it became a, um, a content platform, right? And look at where they are now. So I think like we have countless examples in the business and business leaders have to tell themselves that, you know what, if they don't move, someone else will move and their place will be gone or they, be, they will become irrelevant, basically. I liked how you said that when when put under pressure, people are able to pivot a lot faster than they thought they could, especially yeah. during the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. But also there's a lot of people out there that if given the opportunity, they are able to solve more problems than you actually think they can. You just have to empower them with that mindset to do so and take those risks and saying that those risks are not something that you cannot take. You just have to allow them to do it so that they can raise up, rise up to the occasion. Um, something else kind of, kind of popped up into my mind was that that mindset of being able to pivot also comes from being able to surround yourself with other people who have that mindset as well so that you could bounce ideas off of each other and whatnot uh, from mentors to coaches uh, to other business partners and whatnot. So for yourself, I know that you surround yourself with a lot of amazing people. Um, is, there, is there something that somebody else has told you that you need to do that you've taken and you've implemented and completely changed your business? So that's a good. So I'll tell you a story and then I'll tell you what I did. So <laughs> like, you know, going back to when Obama was deciding to run, for his uh, campaign. You know, if you go and read his book and he always talks about like, you know, talking to his mentors, talking to his people of, like people in his circle so they can give him that good advice. And you know, uh, the first person he talked to was like Democratic Party chair at that time is like Ted, uh, uh, John F. Kennedy's brother, Ted Kennedy, right? You know, really big guy in the Democratic Party. And you would be like, you know, why does Obama need to ask someone to even like, you know, run like, you know, but the idea is not that the idea is to understand that giving you that perspective, which you cannot see. It's like, I always say this is like, you know, we are driving our own cars and all we can see is front and this and this, but whole 180 degrees in your back is still a blind spot for you. So that's where your mentors come in, your circle of influence comes in and like, you know, they tell you, hey, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be pursuing, right? You know, so um, one advice I got a few years ago was like, you know, uh, I was talking to a technology company founder and he's like, Ali, uh, your one leg will be in the grave providing services, right? You know, because that's how the service industry is. And that's true because like, you know, me being in a service industry, um, it's always like, you know, it's a really good cash flow uh, business but you need, you keep doing it throughout your life, right? You know, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make you, let's say $50 million, $100 million, a billion dollar home run. It won't, but it will give you a decent six figure, seven figure outcomes, right? You know, and which is very consistent. So I point, I think that shook me to, to my core. And I was like, seriously, like, you know, I thought that we are doing really good with rapid boost. Life is good. Things have been very streamlined, right? Um, and we were building towards it, right? That's like get to the point that we don't have to work ourselves that much. Um, that fundamentally changed the way we do business now. So two and a half years ago, we started to build products. And one of our major cores of our going next five years is uh, building products now. When I say building products, means software, mobile apps, actually building technology rather than before what we were doing, we were building it for other people. 
Now our intent is to build it for ourselves, right? You know, and that's a fundamental shift. I think there's a huge shift in looking at uh, a good example is like, you know, before we were journal contractors who were building this rental apartments for other people. Now we said, hey, we should build our own rental building, right? Uh, and although it looks a small change, but we never thought about it ourselves. I never thought it about ourselves. Someone from outside told me, hey, why the, you guys have the capability, you have the capacity, you are building buildings for other people. Why the hell are you not building buildings for yourself? And you're like, oops. And, and you know, interestingly, we had the cash flow, we had the resources, and the timing was right. So now we start building products and we are investing in product. That's where the grow based ventures come in, right? You know, and that's something excites me more um, because we understand technology, we understand acquisition. So now the idea is that like, you know, how one can build a technology company, which can take that hundred million, 500 million or billion dollar home run. I love that story because it's always that, that small little tweak that goes, oh, I should have thought of that from the beginning yeah. kind of thing. It's yeah. like Starbucks. Like, wait a minute, we could actually sell cups of coffee that's already grinded and served. And yeah. that changed the whole thing completely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people out there who's just starting out in their businesses, young entrepreneurs. What would you say would be their first three or four steps that they need to take when it comes to marketing or just two or three keys as to what they need to keep in mind? Good question, yeah. Uh, see, number one, so what is business? Business is creating value. Uh, at the core, it's creating value. Um, as a new entrepreneur, you need to understand that product, service, what information, whatever you're selling, how does it solve the people's problems, right? You know, okay. So that's number one thing that you should always focus on creating value because if you create value, in most cases, people will pay you for what you're asking for because now you're solving a problem. It's business is as basic as it is. Solve a problem, ask for a money. Solve a problem, ask for a money, right? You know, um, and that's the problem should be solved good, should be solved at scale because so then you're not solving one person's problem. You're solving thousands of people's problem Look at software as a service companies. That's how you scale. Look at Coca-Cola. They don't sell one bottle. They sell thousands and millions of bottles. They solve the problem of thirst. They solve the problem of like, you know, uh, giving people cold beverages like in the hot weather, right? Let's say. So understand the problem you're solving. Focus on creating value. Understand that how this idea can be scaled because that's where you're going to make the most money actually. Like, you know, uh, and scale means like, you know, that, it, it, it gives you that like leverage in terms of time also. When the scale comes in, you gain freedom as an entrepreneur to do other things. You can focus on your family. You can focus on your leisure activities. So uh, first, create value, solve a problem. Second thing I think what you should do in marketing is because a lot of the marketing nowadays, especially when it comes to organic marketing, if you have time and you don't have money, that's fine, right? You know, you can create content. Um, go back to the early days of how Dollar Shaving Club became this like, you know, billion dollar brand. Go back to the days how uh, a GoPro founder, when they were broke and they were like, you know, creating all of these videos in Thailand, no one knew GoPro. But that Those videos actually made them a billion dollar company. So, you know, the lessons are that go and create. You, sh you don't need a lot of money. In fact, you don't have any money, you need $100, buy a $20 website hosting, create a website for yourself, right? You know, now, nowadays there are do-it-yourself platforms, start showing up on your social media channels, right? You know, and going after your audience. Um, you don't need tons of money to basically 
like you know go after and make your first dollar uh, last thing i would say is that like try to create a strategy and three to five year plan um sometimes you need to have a macro clarity especially when you're starting out um and and last thing i would say is like you know that business is literally like uh, going to the gym it doesn't happen one day that you go in and you have to get a six pack and all of a sudden you win two two million dollar lot it doesn't work like that how the way business works is like you start showing up every day and there's a tipping point comes and then you start seeing a hockey stick growth right you know it happens with most of the companies out there right you know they reach different points uh, they, they reach the tipping points at a different time point in time right you know let's say facebook got to the tipping point very soon right you know but some brands took years for reach to the tipping point uh, i was listening to there's a there's a retail company out of uh, out of uh, calgary i think they're 40 years old and now finally they started uh, the store in westminster mall after 40 years it took them a lot of time to expand they're actually competing with sport check and they're in the sports arena right so sometimes your tipping point comes later so always always start showing up regularly because that's you know focus is not that i went to the gym and why i don't have a six pack that's not the focus focus is that like you know i i'm going to the gym and i went for 6 months and now all of a sudden i'm seeing improvements right you know so you put systems in place not you don't focus on a, a habit right you know create some systems in your business keep doing it day in day out you start seeing that it will become a machine you put in effort time energy strategically you start getting money income freedom all of those things on the other side so Awesome. Uh, how I wish I could flip on a switch and all of a sudden have six packs. Yeah, that would be it. That would be amazing. <laughs> and, and, and I think that and that's where Fong like that's what teaches us humans that like you know uh, there is no magic button. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a business is about like it's the like the sports and practice, right? You know why uh, there is that uh, uh, there is that ten thousand hours concept, right? Malcolm Gladwell that the difference between the pro athlete. and the ones who play in olympics and the ones who are doing it as a hobby is literally mere 3000 hours mm-hmm. so you are telling me that you know what most of us do it as a hobby and we half asset full asset take you to that finishing line you are not that far from the best of the best in the business literally you are this close but most of us give up in that gap mm-hmm. we are like oh it's not working out oh i'm doing it as a hobby you know i have a friend he's a musician uh he did music as a hobby for last 10 years always was broke right you know drove over he started doing music during covid because he lost his like you know he had a lot of work and uh he had a lot of time so he's actually start focusing more energy on music then one year this guy is now like getting offers from this major like you know record labels so that's the difference between uh, half assing and full assing it as i say right you know so put in your time and energy to it uh, the outcome will come right well that that we should end it there however i do have one more question for you and you've already given a lot of great content a lot of great messages and advice but we, if we put you on the world stage and there's one message that you can share with the entire world yeah. what would that one message be oh man Oh man, there's just so many of them. Fong, come on, like one is like a tough one. Uh, you know, um, I think, uh, um, um, see, at the core, as humans, right? You know, 
Um, we, there's a couple of things I'll say. These are, this is, it kind of embodies the message here. So it's like, you know, being, being an empath, right? You know, as a leader, uh, understand, because if you are an empath, you can actually start understanding the world around you better, right? You know, okay. Uh, second thing I would say is like, you know, money is not the first thing, right? You know, because you come in this world, you leave the money behind, right? You know, so start appreciating relationships, love, some of the other things like, you know, in your life, right? You know, uh, and, you know, interestingly, once you start like appreciating those things, relationships, you start loving people, you are empath with other people, what they go through, right? Like, you know, it will make you a better leader and it will make you a better business leader. I'll go back to a, a quote, what Ray Dalio says, like, you know, that uh, so some of his best moments come in when he goes and do, does meditation and like goes for his morning walks and things like that. So, Again, going back to that, uh, it's not just about money. It's a lot about like other things as well. So try to make yourself as a balanced person. And once you create this balance, you'll see that you'll start feeling abundance a lot across the board in all your areas of life, right? You know, uh, because uh, money can only buy you certain things, but there's a better formula there, right? You know, if you if you if you pursue that, right? You know, not just money will come in, money, relationships, health. A lot of other things will going to follow you because now it's you are a complete leader rather than you are just focused on a, like you know anything in life, right? So yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. For, come on, like you know, <laughs> man, I need to think like, uh, and you're just giving me one chance, so it's like you know, I really need to think about this, like you know. But I think uh, it's it's uh, how how can you become a better person? How what kind of legacy you can leave as a person, right? You know. Uh, and if someone asks your kids tomorrow, or someone writes a book on you what they should include in that book and think like that as a person because you we don't know i mean we have five days to live or we have 50 years to live right you know what kind of legacy are you leaving as a person right so yeah, yeah those are those are good words to live by so uh well done uh five quick questions for you before you leave rapid fire give me the first thing that comes to mind all right uh number one you're stranded on desert island what's the one food that you would like to eat for the rest of your life with no consequence oh man Oh, you know, they say that it's never one food which can make you happy. <laughs> but yeah, man, I you know, I, I love food and it's hard to pick one, eh? But you know, I think <laughs> I, like like I think I, I would I would say like you know, if there is a wheat there, then I can make like you know, I can bake out of it, I can make bread out of it, I can do a bunch of other things out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think creatively, but like, yes, probably a wheat, right? You know, uh, so then I can make a bunch of other things out of it, uh, <laughs> out of that product, right? So <laughs> you're gonna pivot. <laughs> uh, second question Do you have a hidden talent that not many people know about? Oh, wow, uh, a hidden talent, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I love nature and I love mountains. I love camping. Not a lot of people who, uh, or until they're very close to me, they know that I love camping. So it's like, you know, uh, if I can tell you everything about camping, right? You know, if you, from an RV to like camping in the bushes to backcountry camping, that's something that like, I won't say a hidden talent, but more or less like my knowledge area where I don't generally talk about, but that's something I'm very passionate about, right? You know, yeah. All right. Um, Hollywood calls and says, you know what? We want to do a biopic on you. 
Who would you like to be casted as your best friend? Oh man. Um, you no. Know, um, so there are there are few. I think like you know. Uh, but I think I would say I would say Tom Hanks. The guy looks like the guy that looks pretty calm and like you know pretty composed. So uh, 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 as much as I would like you know pick up more more animated characters like The Rock and like other people like you know or Vin Diesel or someone, but I would really pick up the brain of Tom Hanks and like you know. Uh, he has one of the most long, steady careers in Hollywood, and like you know, I, I uh, Forrest Gump and a lot of these movies, I have a lot of inspiration from. So uh, yeah, I think Tom Hanks. Yeah. Okay, so Tom Hanks shows up at your door, and now that I know that you love food so much, uh, Tom Hanks goes, "You know what? I, I'm hungry. What's <laughs> that special dish that you could provide him or serve him?" Hey, okay. So if I have options and I just, just don't have wheat in my kitchen, then of course I, I, I'll make them some nice, like, you know, Indian dish, like kebabs or <laughs> butter chicken or something like, you know, to try to swear him away and buy more time from him. Right. You know that, Hey, you know what? I then at least like, you know, uh, put decent food on our table, which will make him stay more longer, uh, but cook something like biryani, some sort of like, you know, more traditional, very rich cultural food. Uh, which he might have an experience before, right? You know, that opens up his taste buds and hopefully, like, you know, open him up to, a, like, a different kind of food, right? You know, so, yeah. yeah, Awesome. And then my last question is, what is success like? Give me a number from one to four. Well, what is success like? Yes, but a number between one to four. One to four, from what perspective? Just give me a number. Success. Success is always Four? Four. So yeah. if you had to relate success to a straw, how is success like a straw? Uh, oh, wow. Wow. So when, when you're successful, you know, how in, how in the straw, right, you know, you pull from one side and like, you know, whatever you're drinking, juice, water, it just comes. That's what success like when, when the money is coming through the floor. <laughs> All you keep doing, it just keep coming, keep coming. It doesn't spill anywhere. And you've created this really amazing system for yourself that all you do is like on demand, you just suck and money starts coming, right? You know, so it's that system of the straw, which can success can relate to because success is a system. And once the system comes together in one form or other, it starts producing results in terms of like, you know, monetary value, leverage, whatever the other things are. Awesome. So that's how success is like a straw. Uh, once again, thank you very much for your time. Uh, lots of great stories that you share, lots of great value. If anybody wants to get in touch with you with regards to your services, what you do, uh, what's the best way? Uh, you can go to my website, alisalman.ca. Uh, search me on any social media channels, Ali Salman. I'm sure you're going to find. I try to stay up. So uh, and I should be visible being a marketing guy. So, of course, like, you know, you should be able to find me on any platforms and just search for Ali Salman, right, sir? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, any last words from you? Uh, no, I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's a great opportunity. And, um, and thank you so much for uh, putting this show up, Fong, that a lot of the concepts, like, you know, as, as I listen to your content as well, a lot of the concepts you talk about, Sometimes, like, you know, you need to read books for that. And I'm sure you do research around it, right, you know. So I think um, if you're really looking for condensed knowledge, right, you know, uh, I think you put an amazing, like, you know, show out there around it, right, you know. Because some of the concepts I've learned from you, I'm sure that I need to read the whole damn book to just understand that damn concept. Uh, and there are some deep concepts, right, you know, because I always say that 
uh, once you start understanding concepts, techniques and tactical things start becoming easier for you because now you understand the macro things, right? You know, so no, I, I, uh, my parting piece of advice is listen to Fong's show. I mean, like, you know, uh, it's, it has tremendous value there. Um, and you know, it makes, it helps you make a better leader. It helps you make, it helps you make a better person because that's what truly like, you know, I believe in, he hasn't paid me anything to say that, right. You know, uh, and th those are my, th those are my genuine thoughts about his content. So, uh, so thank you Fong, for putting up like your time, energy, uh, and, and, and your research to come up with these amazing concepts around it, right? So, yeah. Well, thank you very much. I guess I do owe you something then. <laughs> well, once again, thank you very much. Uh, here's Ali. My name is Fong. Make sure you check out some of his content. Lots of great stuff online. And until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll all see you later. Thank you.